Exciting news at This Week Health. Starting May 16th, our keynote show is moving to Thursdays. Catch every episode weekly on our This Week Health conference channel. Don't miss conversations with top health system leaders designed to transform healthcare one connection at a time. Subscribe to This Week Health conference and stay updated every Thursday. Today on This Week Health. I've said this before, but lots of talk about big data, big data. What about the small data? Right. Like that's the data that really matters because that turns into big data. And if the small data is not good, then the big data is certainly not going to be good. Thanks for joining us on this keynote episode, a This Week Health conference show. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a set of channels dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. For five years, we've been making podcasts that amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. Special thanks to our keynote show partners, CDW, Rubrik, Sectra, and Trellix for choosing to invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, onto our show. All right, today we are joined by Dr. Michael Pfeffer, CIO for Stanford Health. Mike, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Bill. Always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. We've run into each other a couple of times this year. I think we've done one interview, but uh, the last time we were together, you talked about sustainability. It piqued my interest. We're going to talk a little bit about sustainability today, and we'll hit the usual suspects. We'll talk data. We'll talk innovation and whatnot. It would be criminal to talk to the CIO for Stanford and not talk about innovation, I think. Fair. so. <laughs> But before we get there, the first question I have to ask always, tell us about Stanford Health. What are some of the stats of Stanford Health? What is Stanford Health about? Yeah, it's actually a real privilege and honor to be the CIO for Stanford Healthcare and the School of Medicine, Stanford Healthcare being the adult and clinics as well. Stanford Children's has a separate IT department, Petsky, my, my esteemed colleague over there, are really doing amazing stuff. So my portfolio is the adult side of the business and the School of Medicine. And it's such an incredible place. I mean, the, the amount of discovery and innovation and education and the quality and complexity of the healthcare delivered here is just so impressive to see and be part of. So it's truly an amazing place. So Stanford Healthcare, are you guys building out the clinically integrated network across the uh, a larger geography? Or are you still essentially a standalone hospital kind of situation? No, we we have a very large footprint in the East Bay and South Bay, and actually mostly in the, in the South Bay area and extending into different areas throughout the kind of 10 county region in California. So we have a hospital in Pleasanton, California, and that's really an amazing place, really community focused and growing our ambulatory practices around there as well. So it's about partnerships, it's about expansions, it's about really how do we care for the populations in this area that really entrust themselves to Stanford. All right, the only compare and contrast question I'm gonna give you, because you came from UCLA, now you're up there. Getting to the office, UCLA better or worse, <laughs> or, or Stanford better or worse? Well, that's entirely a function of how close you live. But I would say mile per mile, it's easier to get to Stanford. Yeah, I would imagine the handful of times I had to go to UCLA or go up to Cedars, my wife would say, when are you going to be home? I'm like, I cannot give you that answer. It just... Yeah. And it, the morning is 
about half as bad as the afternoon. So yeah, I would say the commute here is better. But again, that's a mile per mile thing. If you live further away than I do, um, it could take just as long. Let's start with a general question. There's a lot going on in healthcare. What are some of the priorities for you at Stanford going into 2023? Yeah, for, for me, a lot of it has to do with simplicity and usability. When we think about all the new technologies we want to deploy, how do we want to optimize our systems? How do we get platforms and applications to work together? I want us to focus, and we are focusing very much on these ideas of simplicity and usability. I always joke, how many times have you opened up your iPhone manual or went to training to use that? And of course, the answer is never. And I'd like to continue to keep that as a goal for us, that we really think about the technologies and how they work together in a way where we're laser focused on usability. And it's not just our clinicians, but it's also how our patients use our systems and how our employees at, at large use our systems and can do the things that they need to do better, faster, easier. So that's a big thing. Talent, right? This is a, always a very, very critical thing. We're doing some of the most complex implementations and trying to uh, support discovery that, that requires in, incredibly smart people in the IT organization. So how do we continue to retain and recruit talent to keep delivering on our missions? And we're very fortunate. We have such an incredible professional, talented team that really just blows my mind every time I see what they accomplish on a day-to-day -day basis. There's a couple of conversations we've had recently that I want to bring up. I, I think I'll start with sustainability. You still practice as a physician, and we talked about that a little bit. I want to come back to that conversation because that's that was interesting to me because it's really, it speaks to the quality of your team and the things that they can do when you literally are not around and not available. Even though you're right down the street, you do not make yourself available unless it's absolutely critical. And that's pretty interesting. We'll come back to that. Sustainability. So yeah. your team, you did a presentation that I was a part of and got to see, and your team has put together some just phenomenal stuff. Talk about the genesis for the conversation and how you got to talking about sustainability as an objective. So Bert's actually really... Uh a leader, I think, in sustainability and actually launched the School of Earth very recently, which is a brand new school here focused on sustainability. So it, it really runs deep throughout our organization. In fact, our CEO, David Entwistle, and our be over kind of our infrastructure and, and real estate, Helen Wilmont, went to the White House to actually talk about all the amazing things that Stanford Healthcare is doing in this space. And so from the IT standpoint, we've really been initially focused on infrastructure. So our, how we purchase our desktops, our support service, and uh, Anne-Marie Yapa, my team has been really spearheading that with her team. And then we wanted to do something bigger. And so we, we really decided that we would commission a, a governance group in IT that reported up into leadership team to focus very much on sustainability, put together a plan with strategies and metrics and, and baseline ideas so we can actually make this part of everything that we do going forward. And it's not just IT, it's also inclusive of biomedical engineering, so all the medical devices. And there's a lot of opportunity, I think, there as well. So I think saying that sustainability 
is absolutely critical to the health, not only of the planet, but of all of us. And so it has to be part of what we do, especially in healthcare, right, to be able to not only support the business, but do so in a sustainable way. It would be interesting to talk about low-hanging fruit here, uh, but you and I were talking before the show because I was I was looking through our catalog. Now, we've been doing interviews for five years, and we have literally thousands of interviews, and sustainability was really only mentioned like three times, right? So think about the context. The context is I'm interviewing somebody who's highlighting the things that they're proud of and excited about at their health system and only three times in the last five years. But one of those that the whole show was really about was one of the HCA CIOs. And I think that speaks to the same thing that you were talking about, which is there's a very pragmatic reason to approach sustainability, not just the obvious, it's good for the planet, it's good for long-term, it's good for us to continue to be a viable species, but, but there is pragmatic savings to approaching this correctly. Yeah, I think so, for sure. I mean, a simple thing, right? How often the monitors stay on throughout the hospital? Do we need all the computers that were there? We can use data and and determine, are, are they being used? Should we not use them, move them somewhere else, turn off the monitors? There's a lot of very, very simple things, and then you can get way more complicated in how you do this. And partnering as well with the vendor community Lots of opportunity, lots of companies talking about how they're going to be sustainable. And that's who we want to do business with. We want to do business with companies that really take this seriously. For example, we have a Colo data center and they're carbon neutral. And that was a really big uh, piece of why we chose to to partner on that. So I think there's there's huge opportunities. I think it's, you're right, it's not only the right thing, but if done appropriately, you can, I think, save money and put that money back into doing what we do best, which is caring for patients and supporting discoveries in in life sciences. One of the interesting conversations that ensued, because it was you, I, and a, a bunch of CIOs, was we were talking about life cycle of equipment. And you just posed the question, it's like, who determined that Three years was the right life cycle. Who determined that was fine? It's just asking those questions. Right. And it was interesting to see the going around the circle, like, I, I, isn't that like the industry standard? I, do you question such things? And and you can, and we have data to support. You could probably get four years out of this. Or we used to be guilty in healthcare of trying to make a PC last for 10 years. That's a, that's a whole <laughs> other thing. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, some equipment gets used very heavily and should be replaced. Going back to usability and simplicity, there's nothing worse than using a, a computer that's very slow or really needs to be re- refreshed or a battery that that dies very, very quickly. But on the other end, there's a lot of equipment that's functioning just fine, yet it's, quote, end of life. It's it's due for its refresh cycle or whatever. But that where does that stuff go? Parts of it can be recycled, obviously, but it doesn't all get recycled. And there are issues with recycling, too. So how do we make the most out of the equipment that we are using. And when it does come time to replace it, we think about, well, what's the next best sustainable approach? And so I think there's a there's a lot of opportunity opportunity there for sure. The cloud ob- obviously poses some really opportunities in sustainability, but it's really that partnership with, with cloud vendors to make sure they're sustainable. The hardware is somewhere, right? It, whether it's in the cloud or it's in a colo or it's in your own data center, right? The hardware is somewhere. And there's a lot of talk about disaster recovery in the cloud and things like that. But if everybody needed disaster recovery at the same time, or there's regions that need it, where's all that equipment? Where, where is that going to come from? So it's that partnership, I think, 
that's really going to make this work. Yeah, I remember reading about Microsoft's initiative, and they were essentially putting data centers at the not the bottom of the ocean, but the, but they were literally submerging them yeah. because they generate a lot of heat. That's one way to dissipate the heat very quickly. I don't know if that's good for the environment or not, but I like the experimentation of it, right? Thinking a little differently and saying, all right, this is how we've been doing it for years or things like building near a hydroelectric power plant as opposed yep. to in yep. a in, in a place that's competing for power. I'm very excited about battery technology and where that's going, right? I mean, if you think about all the lithium ion batteries that we use across all our medical devices, our, our laptops, iPhones, iPad, the list goes on and on. Like what's next? Solid state batteries, batteries with less that are less toxic to make. Like where is that going to be? And then how quickly as an industry can we shift to harness that kind of technology? I think will be really interesting. So I'm very excited about that. It's 2023 and we are celebrating five years at This Week Health. And we are working to give back and are excited to partner with Alex's Lemonade Stand this year. Having a child with cancer is one of the most painful and difficult situations a family can face. At Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation, they understand the personal side of the diagnosis, the resources needed, and the impact that funded research can have for better treatments and more cures. You can get more information about them at alexslemonade.org. How can you help? For the month of February, we will be holding a download drive. We're doing a bunch of different drives this year, and our hope is to raise $50,000 for Alex's Lemonade Stand. And for February, the download drive, for every download over 20,000, and just so you know, our average is roughly about 20,000 every month for This Week Health over the various channels. So what we're gonna do is for every download over 20,000 in the month of February, we're gonna donate $1 to Alex's Lemonade Stand. So if we get to 25,000, we'll donate 5,000. If we get to 30,000, we'll donate 10,000 to Alex's Lemonade Stand. A download is counted as anytime someone listens to the episode of This Week Health on either of our channels, on the conference channel or on the newsroom channel. Let your staff know, your peers, whoever you think might benefit from listening to our interviews and this content and support the work of Alex's Lemonade Stand in the search for cures for childhood cancer in the process. You can go to the This Week Health, Alex's Lemonade Stand. All you have to do is go to our homepage. At the top, there's a banner. Click on that banner. You can see our progress. And right now we are at $10,000 already raised in 2023. So we are so thankful for those of you who are participating with us. If you haven't, go ahead out there, go ahead and give a donation, leave a little note for us. We'd love to thank you for participating in that. And look, it's really easy. Shoot a note to somebody who you think would benefit from listening to this content. And for every download above 20,000 this month, we are gonna give $1 on your behalf. So we wanna thank you for all your support and help as we try to give back this year. Give me an idea of how it functions. So you, you have this, this group that has gotten together. Are they just asking questions? Are they raising things? Are they raising opportunities? How does, how does the whole thing sort of function? Can anyone bring an idea forward? Yeah, so absolutely. We want to have wins. So what we need to do first is measure how we're doing across the different modalities of our organization. And first determine what those metrics are, measure them and determine where we're going to get the most value. And so we've had lists of initiatives that came from all different aspects of our IT organization, the committee vets them, 
and comes up with basically here are the initiatives that we're going to focus on this year and then measure our success on that. And again, it's it's not in in a silo within our IT organization, but it's in partnership with the larger healthcare organization and, and then the university because we don't want to duplicate and we want to partner on where there's opportunities that cross all of the entities. So that group then interdigitates with the other groups throughout the health system in the university so that it all comes back to our sustainability group. And that group then reports out on a quarterly basis to myself and, and my leadership team. So it's always front and center. And so that's how we kind of have built it into the way we're thinking about really weaving sustainability in into everything we do. Talk to me a little bit about measurement, and then we'll move on from here. So it would be interesting to have like awards at the end of the year for the health system that does X, Y, or Z. But if you ask me to put that award together, I'm not sure what I would measure. So I'm curious what measures you guys are looking at. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. It really depends on what what strategy or what potential opportunity you have. So let's go to the refresh cycle question. You can measure how often you're refreshing your equipment that potentially doesn't need to be refreshed or how much potential savings there could be there. Power utilization is another one. Is there a way to, what's our baseline power utilization across our systems, data center, however, and how much do we want to reduce that over the next year? And then then look at what are the strategies that we are going to use to do that. Waste is another one. How much waste are we generating? Can we improve that somehow? The list kind of goes on and on. That would be really tough, I think, to potentially think of an award based on metrics because they're going to be unique and that different organizations are going to potentially have different opportunities based on where they are, what's the collaboration with the health system and the university. So, yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, Progress against the baseline, essentially, is what we would look for. Yeah. Or even, even the idea, like if you embed it in some of the current awards or stages that we currently do, it could start simply as, do you have a committee that looks at that? And, and do you have a number of initiatives that you're tracking? It could be as simple as that to say, okay, well, yeah, now we have a group thinking about it. That could go an incredibly long way. It would be interesting to incorporate it into Most Wired, wouldn't it? Could be. Yeah, I, I don't know. Just, just throwing it out there for somebody who's connected to Most Wired. Look, it couldn't hurt, right? I think the other thing is you could gather data and learn before you would put in place some metrics. So like, what are people doing across the enterprise? Are people thinking about these things? Um, when I come across people in this and talk about this, people are very excited. So I, I can't imagine that there wouldn't be an opportunity. Well, let's talk about people and leadership. And I'll get back to that story of you practicing, but I, I want to start with you. You guys have a beautiful campus, beautiful place to work. Are you guys back on campus now, or is it still kind of a hybrid situation? In terms of the IT department, it's a hybrid. So we, we have professionals on site, obviously, and we have a hybrid and we have fully remote. And actually in the beginning of the year, we're doing some work on our office space to make it a more collaborative place when our hybrid employees come back to the office more regularly. And when I say regularly, that's the wrong word because it's really about value. And so what we're trying to do is really say, okay, what's the value of you coming on site? Well, collaboration with other teams, 
sometimes you need to get into a room and whiteboard a very complex problem now. Going to the business, rounding, those are really great reasons to come on site. Coming on site and sitting at a cubicle and doing eight hours worth of work, not a good use, not very valuable. And so it's really changing the mindset. There's the new way to work. I mean, there, there's many, many ideas and philosophies, and I'm not saying I have the right answer, but I'm trying to approach this from a value standpoint. I really want the in-person interactions and coming on site to be valuable. And uh, healthcare is an in-person business. I mean, yes, we do video visits and, and such, but it's an in-person business. I haven't yet seen a surgery done fully remotely. Someone's got to be there to like actually hook up the equipment and such. I know there are some examples of robots being controlled remotely for a surgery, but the patient isn't in their, their home. So it's still an in-person business, especially on the other missions, education, research. I mean, we need to be there to support. So it's making sure that we're, we're connected. We have the relationships we understand and that there's value to those in-person interactions. So that's kind of how we're really thinking about it. And from, from a recruiting standpoint, this has to help you to recruit the best talent. I, I would assume just being able to have that kind of flexibility with regard to where they're going to work. Are you, as you go out and look for new roles, mm-hmm. are you looking for a healthcare background as much as you're looking for a specific technology background or temperament, personality, and and those kinds of things. How do you weight that stuff? It varies and it depends probably on the role itself, but fundamentally it's, it's someone who's really, really excited and passionate about our missions. That's why you do this. And I think you've seen all the stuff in the news, right? About the tech industries and how they're laying off people. And this is a real opportunity to come to healthcare and be part of something that's truly amazing, where your work really impacts patients' lives and, and hopefully gives them a chance to add to their, their life story, support our researchers, help train the future clinicians. It's an incredibly exciting and important place to be. So that excitement, that passion about our missions is really critical. This is still a relationship business. So really being collaborative and wanting to be part of something bigger, I think is really critical. And then the skills and everything, we want a diversity of skills, a diversity of experiences, diversity in general, because if we're gonna actually truly be highly successful on health equity, we need to have a very diverse IT organization, but to be able to support that. Describe for me, when you are practicing, now I know you still do email at night and we all do that kind of stuff, but when you're practicing, you really do focus on your practice. Like yeah. you, you're practicing medicine and the IT team, your team is supporting you in that. Talk about how long do you go about d- doing that? And how does your team respond during that time? What's How do they function during that time? Yeah, well, they probably function better. So no, I do a week on, on service. I'm a hospitalist. So I take care of patients in the hospital. Uh, again, a real privilege to work with the residents and medical students here at Stanford. I mean, I learned so much from them. Hopefully they learned from me. And, and of course, the greatest teachers of all are our patients. So I get to really dive in there, see how our technologies are working, get an opportunity to care for people. And uh, during that time, my leaders in the IT organization, and of course the teams do phenomenal work and they, if they really need me, they'll ping me. But fundamentally, I try to debrief with them after the week on some of the things that I've learned and and seen. And 
it helps really, I think, cement our focus on usability and simplicity on how the work is being done. And then, of course, there's things to celebrate. So there's a lot that works really well. And I think often we focus on the things that don't work well, but, but there are a lot of things that work really well. So that's really important to me. And I'll often take people on rounds with me too, from the IT department or other areas so they can see what it's like. And that's a lot of fun, especially to hear what they think after afterwards. You know, it's interesting, the email thing. I really tried it. I'm trying very hard not to do emails after hours or send them out. And I might type them and they all have save for later or send later, which I think is an amazing feature. But I really believe like we got to figure out better ways to help people disconnect. Yeah. Not just healthcare, it's everything, right? I mean, I bet if we did, if we looked at sleep patterns since the introduction of the iPhone or the smartphone, like they wouldn't be nearly as good as they were. I mean, I don't know, maybe that's true, maybe that's not true, but we have to figure out ways to disconnect. And when we venture into the whole discussions on burnout, it's individual and it's, I think, having some, some ability to disconnect technology. Yeah, I don't want to go into this too far, but some of the stuff I've read on sleep, I mean, we sit in front of these screens and it actually communicates to your brain, the sun has risen. Like, yeah, yeah. it's going to take take a little while of you being in the dark before your brain goes, eh, maybe that was a false signal. Let's go to sleep. And just anecdotally, my, my two parents are in town. My mom and my dad are in town, 85 years old. And there's been a couple of times where my wife and I just look at each other like, do we tell them to get off their phones? I mean, it's like, that generation has now, since the pandemic, has completely embraced the use of yeah. technology. And they're like, my dad used to read the newspaper to get his news on the Philadelphia Eagles. He now has like 10 websites. He goes and he gets detailed information. <laughs> He's just like, this phone thing's amazing. I'm like, you realize the internet's behind that phone thing. He goes, oh, no, it's just, it's on my phone. I'm like, yeah. yeah super yes. easy. Now, I was talking with our chief technology officer here, Christian Lindmark, and about traveling back 20 years ago and traveling now. And if you wanted to get around somewhere, you, you'd have like a map or a guidebook and you, you'd walk around and you, you'd kind of get lost and end up in places that you probably would have never had visited, but are amazing and, and some of your greater stories. And now you never get lost. You have your phone, you just go wherever it tells you to go. And which is great because there's a lot of times you don't want to get lost, right? You, you need to find where you need to go. I mean, it's great, but like, how do we balance the two, right? Both should be okay. Both should be the way we the way we do it. And then how do we balance that? And I think that's really important as, as the technologists, we really think about that and how we design our systems. And I'm just I'm picturing a new map app that says, are you okay with getting lost for a little bit? We'll help you get back. But We'll help you get lost and then we'll help you get back. That would be great. It's really interesting. I haven't seen the help me get lost button yet on any of the products. <laughs> If you haven't heard yet, we're doing webinars a little differently this year. We got your feedback. You wanted community-generated topics, not vendor-generated topics. You wanted great contributing panelists, definitely not product-focused, more focused on the challenges and the problems that we were facing in healthcare. We are only making these available live, so we are making them more dynamic in nature, and we're doing them on a fairly consistent time, as much as we possibly can, the first Thursday of every month. The next webinar is going to be on March 9th, 
which technically is not the first Thursday of every month. And I apologize for that, but I'm actually on vacation that day. So March 9th is going to be the webinar and we're going to continue our leadership series. We're going to be talking about the changing nature of work. And a lot of things have changed. The pandemic drove us to work out of our homes. What does that mean? What does it look like? How are we making decisions? Are we making data-driven decisions on that? How are we maintaining culture? How are we hiring? Are we hiring differently? Not only that, not only focusing on IT and the roles there and the challenges there, but also on the challenges that our health systems are facing, the changing nature of work as we move into working at hospital at home and some of these other care venues. What does that look like? Addressing the staffing challenges in the clinical side as well as the administrative side. So we are looking forward to having that conversation. Love to have you join us March 9th. Keep an eye out. We're going to announce who the panelists are going to be. I currently have my feelers out for some people, but you can count on the fact that we're going to have great panelists. We're going to have a great discussion. You can sign up on our website, thisweekhealth.com, top right-hand corner. The cool thing about that is you can put your question right in there. And I give those questions to the panelists ahead of time, and we make sure we integrate that into the discussion. So sign up today. Hope to see you there. Let's hit innovation a little bit. In what area are you seeing Stanford really pushing the envelope with regard to technology or data at this point? Yeah, I mean, Stanford, it just the amount of innovation that comes out of here is mind-blowing. And I think one of the challenges is defining what is innovation. And I think there's many levels of innovation, right? I mean, there's innovation that's happening in the day-to-day, just how do we tweak things to make them better, faster, more efficient, more automated, all the way up to spinning out a company that, you know, does something. Yeah, really- we, we could push the envelope right now in healthcare if we made all, all aspects just easier, simpler, like you were saying just, earlier. Yeah, just simpler. And so there's ma- many, many innovation opportunities across the spectrum. And so trying to really say innovation is everybody's responsibility. It's not, there isn't a group over here that's going to innovate there. So a- as the IT department, right, our job is to figure out how to help make these innovations happen a lot faster. And so we're spending a lot of time thinking about how do we do that? And how do we do even better on bringing things into healthcare? So an example is we recently appointed Dr. Nigam Shah our chief data scientist for Stanford Healthcare and partnered him with our prize architect, Anurang Reverie, and basically with focus on how do we bring AI into the clinical space in a sustainable, different kind of sustainable, but sustainable, scalable, thoughtful way that solves problems for the care operations and really, really exciting stuff. So thinking about platforms, thinking about standards, thinking about frameworks, governance, value assessments around potential algorithms and how they would actually scale. All those innovations are not going to come from Stanford per se. We may partner on different ideas around AI, ML, all those fun buzzwords, but they're really nothing until they actually get into use and then are monitored and are cared for and they need that kind of oversight in order to be successful both at scale and long term. So that's just one example of how we're thinking about innovation. There's also this amazing program, Stanford Medicine Catalyst. It's run by two phenomenal leaders here, Michael Hollis and Ewan Ashley. And it takes just incredible ideas that come from Stanford Medicine 
and through a very extensive process gets from hundreds down to eight and basically provides them the resources to implement and scale and take their ideas, hopefully one day to market. And so we're involved in that in the IT organization and really supporting some of these just phenomenal ideas that come out of the Catalyst program. So just two examples, and the list goes on and on. Of Is that an incubator or an accelerator? What? How does that function? Yeah, I guess I would call it more of an accelerator because the idea is, it's not incubating ideas per se. It's more, here's the idea, or there's an initial product or something to that effect that then is accelerated through the process. Amazing. That's a lot of fun. I want to ask you about data. I mean, you talked about building that team who's bringing AI. And I, I think we assume from the outside that an organization like Stanford understands the need for data governance. And you as the CIO never have to have conversations about it because everyone just sort of gets it and the data is all clean and ready to go and whatnot. But I would imagine your AI initiatives get stalled just like every other health systems based on the, the quality of the data and getting it out there. Talk about some of the initiatives or challenges or initiatives around really cleaning yeah. the data to make it useful. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, I've said this before, but lots of talk about big data, big data. What about the small data, right? Like that's the data that really matters because that turns into big data. And if the small data is not good, then the big data is certainly not going to be good. And we've seen this play out over and over and over again. So how do you get good small data? I mean, you got to make the systems usable and simple. Right. So it goes right back to what we were talking about in the beginning and that the right people are entering that kind of data into the system. So you get it as accurate as possible. And then how do you aggregate it all? And inserts are really, really important on how we think about this and data governance, of course. Of course, we have a lot of work to do in this area. And our chief analytics officer, Johan, that is spending a lot of time with his team, really thinking about the new enterprise analytics strategy. Like, where do we go from here? Obviously, there's tons of data. We can build lots of dashboards and reports and everything like that. But what's the next step? And imagine that you are in your workflow doing whatever it is that, that you're doing and an analytic or piece of information that's absolutely relevant to you is presented to you in a way that you could actually do something with it. And I think that's where I'd love to be. And you've seen dashboards, right? They have like all these graphs and lines and you look at it and you're like, wow, this is really amazing. That's a lot of data, but what do I do with it? It's so complicated. I want to get to like, here's a number four of something, right? And that's all you need to know because it really should be two and it's four. And maybe here's two things you can do of why it's foreign and not two, right? And so now that could be really actionable if it's presented in a way that's personalized and in your workflow. So I think as an industry, we have a long way to go. The beauty of the iPhone or the Mac interface in general is the things they've said no to. If you remember PCs back in the day, we used to have like all sorts of menus and things all over the place. Like everything had to be like right there for you, but, but. What Apple did for us is they really showed us human-centered design. They really thought it through and they said, no, no, no. The design is really about what you say no to and make it as simple as possible for people to access what they need. And with analytics, it's interesting because we're as healthcare, we're generating more data daily than we've ever 
generated in history. I mean, just an amazing amount of data. And more and more, it's going to get to be, all right, I'm a cardiologist and I'm working with this patient. I need four pieces of information. Give me those four pieces of information. Now, if I want the graph and whatever, I know intuitively that I click on that and boom, there it is. And I can look into more detail, but don't put it all on that screen. Just put four things I'm looking for. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it says, because every clinician thinks a little bit differently and all data is not created equal in the sense of some could be more meaningful in different situations than not. And really trying to figure out how to show that I think is really complicated, but you know, a good example that I, I love is that your energy provider, right? You get an email. It's like, this is your energy usage. This is your peers' energy usage in your neighborhood, right? You're doing well, or wow, you really used a lot of energy this month. And it's really actually been very successful. One data point, that's it. It's like your energy usage and how you're comparing to your peers in a very simple graph that's emailed to you. And it really gets you thinking like, wow, why was I so high last month? Oh yeah, I ran the air conditioning too much. I'm going to change that. And uh, I think that's a really great example. Data storytellers are in such high demand. Twitter's a great example or LinkedIn or whatever. They give you that one graphic and you look at it and you go, okay, in that marketplace, we don't have any beds. There's this many people who are sick. There's this many who are vaccinated. This many are in the ICU. Some of those graphics during the pandemic, they were kind of clunky in the beginning, but towards the end, I'm sitting there going, wow, that one graphic told me an awful lot about what's going on in that community. Yeah. I love that term, data storyteller. It's really what it's about, right? It's how do we get stories out of the data that not only like inform you, but then it's kind of then to the choose your own adventure story. And then you could do A or B based on what you learned from the data set. That's where I'd, I'd love to get to. Obviously people, self-service, the ability to dive into data set for hypothesis generation, all of that stuff. Right. You're a research you institution. Know. You absolutely have to give them. Of, of course. And again, how do we make it faster, better, simplistic, easier to use, right? Better platforms. All of those things, I think, is the iteration of where we are today. Um, Stanford has a, this a data repository called STAR, which is phenomenal. It was built many, many years ago. One of the first de-identified data Mars and de-identified the notes, which is really amazing. We've had that here for a while. And so the next iteration of that is even more modalities and, you know, their usability, simplicity, and then telling the story, how to even find it, get there. IT departments, I think we need to market what we have better. What do we have in our product portfolio and how can you get to it? Like I've, I've joked, but I'm serious. <laughs> I want us to create a, I need data button. And you, anybody can click that button at Stanford and then walks you through like the use case of how to get what you need based on what you're looking for. And so- that's I where I'd like to get to, right? I love that. I need data. Like, here's my problem. I need data. And it goes, all right, let me ask you a couple of questions. Here's where the data is, or even better yet, here's the data. Yeah. And so, I mean, it sounds easy to do. It's actually quite hard. And there are experts in designing these kind of things, design thinking, like, how do you, how do you actually do this? But point is, I mean, there's an opportunity, I think, for all of us to really focus on that usability and simplicity aspect. I'm trying to think my my exit question here because we're we're up on our time here. So I think my exit question is going to be technology you're keeping an eye on that you believe is going to have a significant impact on healthcare in the next three to five years. Yeah, so that's a great question. I'm really excited about ambient voice technology, and yeah. well, wow. it, would be, it would be nice for that keyboard to go away completely, wouldn't it? 
it would. And so to really be able to take all of the insights from the clinical visit and create that notation that, that's necessary and really use the computer for showing things like radiologic images and how we would do surgery X or whatever, but not using it to do the typing. I'm really excited. It's getting better and better. And I think as we get more vendors into the space and really think about how to do it, it's going to get more affordable, which is the other piece I think that's important. But the ambient voice and really bringing that connection between the provider and the patient better is really key. And, and again, it's not that the computer shouldn't be part of it because there's so much you can do in terms of educating and explaining with images and such. So it's not taking it out of the picture. We don't want to take the computer out of the picture. We want to take the typing of the notes out of the picture. So I'm really excited about that. And then I do think that we're going to see AI and ML really start to become more and more used and applied in the healthcare. So I'm really excited about those two things. Fantastic. Mike, always a pleasure to catch up. I want to thank you for your time and look forward to the next time we're in the room together. Thank you, Bill. Always, always so much fun to chat and really, really appreciate the time. I love the chance to have these conversations. I think if I were a CIO today, I would have every team member listen to a show like this one. I believe it's conference level value every week. If you want to support This Week Health, tell someone about our channels. That would really benefit us. We have a mission of getting our content into as many hands as possible. And if you're listening to it, hopefully you find value. And if you could tell somebody else about it, it helps us to achieve our mission. We have two channels. We have the conference channel, which you're listening to, and This Week Health Newsroom. Check them out today. You can find them wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast. You get the picture. We are everywhere. We want to thank our keynote partners, CDW, Rubrik, Sectra, and Trellix, who invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.